Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Gay With God podcast, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Or are we still searching? The stories you hear on this podcast will melt your heart and strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible and you can be authentically gay with the God of your understanding. I'm your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I'm so glad that you're here, and I appreciate your attentiveness and always coming back each week and that you've shared things and you've given me some feedback, and I appreciate you so very much. And I love the fact that the guests that I bring on are are people that I actually like. You know, as a podcaster, sometimes you get desperate, you know, you don't want to do it all by yourself. So you'll take whatever guests you can get. But I have been so fortunate that I've not had to settle. (laughs) I love my guests and I, I choose them specifically when I reach out to somebody. I choose them specifically because they've touched me in some way or I believe that what they have to share is something that you guys are going to be interested in. So I have another one of those guests for you today. So Mike Mashiro is the founder and CEO of NUMA a spiritual intelligence organization that equips people in theology, spirituality, and faith. Mike is gay, an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community, and a queer theology enthusiast. He is the author of the book, Hashtag The Mike Board, and also travels the world teaching on spiritual intelligence, supernatural discernment, queer theology, emotional health, and redemptive deconstruction. He is a social media influencer and thought leader. And I am so thrilled to have Mike. We had a little glitch before and I couldn't bring him to you, but we just got it together and I brought him today. And I'm so, so, so happy that you're here, Mike. Thank you so much for coming. Of course. Thank you for having me, Midge. And listen, the little glitch we had was I totally screwed up our stuff. <laughs> that was on me, you guys. That was totally my fault. And I'm sorry. Well, and then I just told Mike that he almost beat me here and I was going to have him just go ahead and record something <laughs> and pretend that I was here. <laughs> because those we're doing are, great. Well, we're doing great that we're both here in the same space. <laughs> We're here. We're via doing Zoom. It. Via Zoom, right. we're in the same space, and we're ready to have a wonderful show. And I'm just so grateful. So, Mike, tell us your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, listen, I'm I'm going to try and say what I'm going to say in a way that's going to be as accessible to as many people as possible. Um, but I came from a Baptist background, so I got saved when I was four. Uh, that's when my parents got saved because I was terrified of hell. I was told that if I didn't accept Jesus into my heart, I would burn in eternity forever. Mm-hmm. Right? Like just tortured and. I would be awake for all of it. My body would never die. It was like very specific and gross and terrifying. So I took Jesus at my vaccination, right? Like save me from this horrific outcome. And then I was raised in the church and became a very good Christian boy and learned the things and blah, blah, blah. And around 18, I was getting kind of bored. I didn't really know if there was much more Christianity had to offer at that point um, because I'd just been around the laps so many times that it was just like, What's so great of what we're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was around that time that I, now this is where my story gets a little funny for all kinds of people, but including Christians, I was at a Sunday morning service and I, I'm going to use this word on purpose. I okay. encountered God. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of, I don't knows in this, but I had a radical experience of like 
encountering the person of God is what I would, how I describe that. Um, and it changed my life. I mean, I wept the whole time. Mm. God was different than I expected. And from that moment forward, I had a very strong, deeply settled awareness that what we talked about in church, what we, how we read the Bible and this person of God that I knew, these were two different things. Mm-hmm. We were not talking about this person that I knew. Mm. Um, and people thought they were right. And I believe that they were as well-meaning as they were capable of being, but the conclusions they came to the expectations, the judgments, the requirements that they had within their religion was nowhere in the heart of God. God did not show up that way. Didn't express themselves that way. Didn't meet me that way. Didn't expect any of that from me. None of that was valid on the God side of my Christianity. <laughs> and I thought that was the once in a lifetime moment that I had, right. That like, it was my, getting knocked off the donkey on the way to Damascus moment, right? It changed my life. Um, but then eight months later, I had another experience. This one was even more intense than the first one. And again, it was encountering God. And in this experience, God essentially, uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to compress the story, but through this exchange, this dialogue with God, God told me they wanted me to be gay. And I knew God could not tell me that. I knew that was not biblical. That was unchristian. God couldn't say that to me. But that, but it was very clear what God was saying. And I was shocked. But then in that experience, I said, I told God, if that's what God wants, then that's what I want too. Um, even though I didn't want to be gay, I knew I was gay since I was 10. So it was eight years of being closeted and terrified and right, harboring this horrible secret and feeling like a second-class citizen and blah, 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 all this awful stuff. And then God shows up and tells me that they want me like this. And everything about my culture and my upbringing tells me that that can't be true. Mm-hmm. But everything about the experience, I can't deny or argue with this person. Right. So that was, again, like something that I chose to hide. I could not tell anyone because I knew what mm-hmm. Christians were going to do to me if I told them mm-hmm. what happened. Right. What they, I told them what God said, like they wouldn't believe me. They would tell me I was talking to a demon, which now that I've come out publicly, I get those comments, which is so, I mean, just, it's awful. I just, it's, mm-hmm. I hate that, that people feel free to just like tear apart some of the most sacred experiences you've ever had in your life. Right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that was a game changer. And then after that moment, I basically, and I guess I don't want to just scurry past this. It was a radical life-changing experience. Uh, I I had a peace come into my life or come out of me in a way that I had never experienced up to that point. Mm -hmm. It changed my life. All of a sudden it wasn't the end of the world if someone found out about my deep, dark secret because God knew me there and accepted me there and loved me there. So it didn't matter what other people thought anymore. I was going to be okay. It mattered a little bit. Let me pause. Let me pause right there because this is so profound. It is profound for me because we have always, I can't say we, I have always wanted to know that deep knowing in my soul that God gives me a thumbs up, so to speak, that God is not the God of the Bible. And when it, in the worst parts of the Bible, that it's right. hard to explain why God would do such things. Mm-hmm. And, and to have that knowing, to know without a shadow of a doubt that this experience was real that God was affirming you. And no matter what has been translated into the Bible, no matter what other people are telling you about what they believe when they read the Bible, God spoke to you in a way that affirmed you into your soul. And that is a miracle. Agreed. Just saying, just saying. (laughs) Thank you. I agree. I look back, I knew then, and I just, I just like, as I got older and kept looking back at these experiences, I, w- I keep having to ask the question, like, 
why me? How come I got to have these experiences? Because I've met so many gay people, especially gay men who were raised in the church and had to leave. Yes. And with this insecurity and a lack of confidence and just having to choose themselves for the sake of like survival, right? And like mm-hmm. self-care, but also having this massive deep question of if they're good with God, is God good with them? Some of them have like defaulted, like God must be good with them, right? Others have been like, yeah, I, I don't get to have a relationship with God anymore. Some people are like, I don't believe in God anymore, but they're different versions. My experience was so different. And the reason I ended up coming out was because of God, mm. which isn't, I think most people's experience, right? So yeah, I agree. This was like, this was a miracle. I agree. Yes. And I don't know, I wish I could like copy and paste it for other people and let them have this, the experience too. I don't know why. I don't know how I can't explain. I can't answer those questions. Yeah. I don't know why me. I don't have answers yeah. for that. But I also can't deny that these experiences happened, right? But the crazy thing is after that happened, I went back to living among the people as if it didn't happen. (laughs) And I went back to like being closeted and trying to fix myself and submitting myself to counseling and prayer and, you know, inner healing and all this stuff to try and be straight, to try and fix my brokenness. Even though I heard God say something very different to me, I followed the Christian journey of what it was like to be an upstanding gay person in this process. Um, is that so, because you didn't feel safe to be around the people at oh, that point? Sure. Yeah, my community was 100% evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. So, no, I was not safe. I did not feel safe. I could not. So that's probably why, right? Yeah. I think I'm maybe a little harsher on myself than I need to be about yeah. like, the choices I made. Yeah. But I, <laughs> yeah. Because safety well, first, was, buddy. Safety first. And we right. tell kids that all the time, that you may be bursting and ready to tell that story and tell your truth and step into authenticity. But if you're not safe keep it quiet for a minute. Absolutely. You had every right to do that. And I'm really Thank proud you. that you took care of yourself. Thank you. Well, yeah, I did. I chose to like keep that stuff down. Mm-hmm. And then for the next 14 years, I would have like six or seven other radical experiences like this, varying in their degrees of intensity, but all very clear. God was saying something specific to me And it took the later experiences for me to connect the dots that all of these experiences were talking about my sexuality, Mm. were addressing that part of me. And I don't think it's because God was, I don't know if this is true. I don't think it's because God was like only wanting to talk to me about my sexuality. I think that was the place that I felt the most rejected, the Uh most ashamed, the most worthless. And so God continued to meet me in that place because that was the hangup where I could not say yes to love to authenticity, to letting the truth flow through my life. I was, that was the the hook that like caused me to cave in on myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so God in, in their kindness and goodness continued to meet me in that particular place and continue to affirm me there and like bolster their support and acceptance of me in that space. So anyway, um, a little over two years ago now had a couple of, sorry, three, specifically three experiences similar to what I'm describing in succession. But the first one, I was like, I knew this was spiritual. This was a spiritual experience. I didn't know that God was necessarily causing this. I just thought I was like having some like conviction or whatever. And then two weeks later, I had another experience and I was like, Oh, this could be God. I'm not sure. By the third experience I had, it was very clear. Like this is the Holy spirit. And this time there was an intensity that I was not prepared for. And it wasn't, just personal anymore. This was like, I have overstepped or I have uh, tarried in a space that's actually not acceptable anymore. There was a bit of a rebuke here. I was not quote unquote in trouble. I was deeply grieved. Mm. Uh, It wasn't punishment. I wasn't being shamed or coerced by God. I want to be very clear. 
I would say I was being rebuked, but it wasn't harsh. It wasn't cruel. It wasn't vindictive or punishing. The rebuke was a refutation of my own denial of authenticity in my personal life. But then also because at that point I had a platform, I had a lot of people listening to me. I was traveling, you know, like I had, I was speaking and people were listening and following me and blah, blah, blah. And in that place of that position of influence, I remained silent on this queer issue. I did not talk about it. I did not address it. Um, I definitely didn't defend or advocate for any queer people in that space, right? And so at that point, it became very clear, my hands were dirty. And not just me, the Christianity I was a part of, the people that I called my community, all of us were anti-gay. We were homophobic. We would not have used these terms, but we did not care for gay, gay people. We saw them as people who were broken that needed to change, that God did not accept, which was literally opposite of everything I've heard from God on the matter. And so all of a sudden it became a deal breaker and I could not just keep going as if everything was fine. I couldn't keep pretending or hiding anymore. This was a line of demarcation and I had to make a choice for myself. God wasn't demanding this from me, but my level, my ability to shoulder this the voice of God in my life and then the circumstances that I was living in and the choices I was making, I could not reconcile them anymore. Mm -hmm. It was too intense. I couldn't do it. So I caved and I decided, I just, I think the word is repented, right? I repented in some deep, profound, intense, expensive ways. And I could tell you the process of all of that. It was just all, it was a bunch of things. Right. And so for the first, the next six months, I cried intensely a lot for a few different kinds of reasons. And the, I think the main reason was just a bunch of childhood trauma that just kept coming up that I just had not been connected to, was not willing to look at, could not admit. Um, I didn't know how much of that stuff I had repressed and denied and ignored and become detached from. So as I started like saying yes here, all that pain started to eke out and I couldn't stop it. And it would just come in waves and like it would be, in, it was strong and I would have tears that I didn't understand. I could not articulate to the people around me what I was feeling or experiencing. I just had this pain that was being purged. I think it was the main pain I was experiencing. Then the other kinds of pain that I would, that it was coming out of me was the guilt and the remorse and the grief and the sadness of how long I had been complicit with harmful institutions that were dehumanizing of people like me and all those subject, like the way that I subjected myself to those ideologies, the theology, the systems, the practices, the attitudes that were harmful to me, like just so much grief and sadness and just having to process through how did I do this for so long? How did I continue to make this make sense? Mm -hmm. um, so that was like a really messy process. And then I started coming out to people in my life at that time as well. I started with obviously just some of my closest people and they got to have their experience of like <laughs> navigating. What are you talking about? What are you telling me? Some of them, it was like shocking. They'd never considered that I was gay. They'd never even thought that before. Right. So for me to be telling them that and not just that I'm gay, but that I'm like going to be accepting this part of myself and then also like pushing against this and that was a whole process. And then I was also like still in a leadership position while this was going on, but I was having some serious hangups with the leaders of the church that I was a part of. So we were already like having to navigate some conflictual dialogue and like weird tension. And then I'm coming out in the middle of all this. So that just made things worse. It was just very bad timing, but I also like, you know, had to like address and respond to what was going on. So then I started having a different kind of conversation with them. And then that ended 
pretty quickly. It became pretty clear, pretty quick. This is not a safe environment for me to be doing this, for me to be this person, for me to keep participating in this way. I can't participate in the system. I can't benefit from this structure. I can't continue to receive the perks and the advantages that I've enjoyed if I'm going to like honestly walk out what I'm experiencing. So through that process, I ended up just like finding a bunch of other voices who were like affirming of the queer community, both Christian and non-Christian alike. I didn't care. I'm like, I don't care if you claim to be a Christian. I just need to hear anyone else talk about gay people in the way that's different than everything I've been told my whole life. Right. So I just started seeking out different voices and influencers and whatever, and authors and theologians and academics. And I was blown away at what they were saying and the amount of work that had been done, especially in the like last decade, I was shocked at the questions that were being raised, the ethical, like, contradictions that Christians never brought up. They never talked about, they never considered. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we are so biased in how we approach this whole thing. We are yes. not listening. We yeah. are not honest. We do not care. We have a solution for a problem that has nothing to do with us. This is awful. And it only further confirmed the deep grief and repentance that I had already walked through. And so through that process, I found an, a profound person named Stan Mitchell who lived in Nashville, Tennessee, who was doing a lot of queer affirming work. He turned his church, his evangelical non-denominational church, fully inclusive of the queer community in 2015, wow. got national coverage. It was a game changer because it wasn't a denomination that would typically do this, right? Um, a lot of drama, whatever. Anyway, so now he does consulta consulting for other churches to help them do the work of being inclusive to queer people. Uh, he was profound. He blew my mind. Like of all the people I was listening to and talking to, I he stood out to me as someone who just, I don't know, was working on another level of like mm -hmm. orthopraxy and theology. I was shocked. And so anyway, long story short, I was like, I need to get out of where I am. The city I was living in, the environment I was in, the community I was part of, I was like, I need to get out of here. Um, so I moved to Nashville to get around him and just like have him around so I could just continue to pull from him, learn from him, you know, whatever. And then several of the people from my team actually ended up going on this journey with me. Um, my, I had a bunch of people on my team working with me, volunteering with me, interning for me, all these things. And we just had to dwindle because this was a huge split for us. It was like a grenade went off. Right. And mm -hmm. I it was so awkward because I was the one. I was the leader. I was like the most powerful person in this whole space. And I was the one blowing it up. And so I oh, felt wow. sympathetic for them. Like, I can't imagine what it might be like for someone at this age in this space of their life with everything they've invested up to this point, having this happen. This is a lot to have to face and work through. But I also could not sit around and wait for them and let them continue to tally, like, sorry, to dilly dally. And like, mm -hmm. it's like, maybe they're going to care, maybe not. And so I started getting really angry at the, like the apathy and the mm -hmm. lack of compassion and the lack of responsiveness from people who knew me, who had a front row seat to my life, who like were in relationship with me. I was shocked at how cold they were about this. Mm. Um, so slowly my team just dwindled and dwindled. And I just kept like allowing people to choose out or, you know, like mm -hmm. confronting things. And so then like a small contingency of us relocated from California to Nashville. <laughs> and that was like, I think 10 months ago now at the recording of this. And it was a game changer. And I'm so thankful that I made the move. I needed to get out of the environment that I was in and all the people. Because culturally, there's so many unspoken, unchallenged, bigoted attitudes and prejudices and biases that the people I left behind cannot even see. They don't even recognize it. They just think I'm being dramatic. They just think I'm being hypersensitive. They just think I'm really offended. They just think I'm trying to justify sin in my life. They cannot hear 
This is unjust. What's happening here is harmful. What's happening here is not love. Like they can't hear that. They all they hear is compromise agenda. You're just trying to whatever. And so I was like, I, okay, I can't. I'm not going to try and like help you anymore. I'm not going to try and explain things. I'm not defending myself. I am not on trial. And that took a lot of work to start even recognizing the power imbalance, right? And the really weird, nuanced but strong elements that were coming into play that I didn't even understand at the time. It was a lot. I don't recommend this for the faint of heart. There is no, the thing is like, I had a lot of, like I had a lot of dynamics to navigate because of my position as a leader, right? There was a lot more other things I had to like work through and confront Mm -hmm. than maybe your average gay person coming out of the closet. Um, But it was a lot of work and it was so painful and I'm still recovering from the fallout of that. You know, I'm still like either conversations I haven't had with people that I need to have, you know, right now it's mostly like, Hey, that's on ice. We, I'm I'm avoiding our relationship. I cannot talk to you. I can't deal with another defensive remark from you. Another way that you're going to like take up the cause of the privileged and ignore the marginalized. I cannot hear this from you right now. I need Mm -hmm. space. Can't, I can't stomach it. I mean, it's so upsetting to me. And I was, the thing is, I was blind to this stuff. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I didn't see it for so long. Yeah. And that's part of why I'm so incensed when I see it now, um, because of all the loss and brokenness I had to walk out to get out of that. I'm like, I am not going to pay tribute to or enable that attitude in any way ever again. I need to have a very clear, clean break from that stuff. So that's a personal part of my journey I had to work through. And I'm still like, yeah together. But anyway, that's like the gist of my journey. So now my, my message, my platform, my content has done a huge shift toward advocating for the queer community. Deconstruction has become a necessary component to that process. Talk um, so to the, people, talk to people about deconstruction. Okay, Here yeah. it, It's a buzzword. Everybody's using yeah. it. Tell, yeah. tell my, tell my people what you mean by that. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so when I say the word deconstruction, because yes. a lot of people can mean different things when they say it. Totally. Yes. So my brand of deconstruction is so here's the thing. I am in love with Jesus. Um, I love God, right? And, and when I say God, the crazy thing that I'm discovering at this point, though, is even within Christianity, when I say the, the word God, that means different things to different people. Yes. It's wild, right? Um, so I'm not trying to tip my hat to a, a badge that I'm wearing that we all agree to. I'm talking about a person that I'm in love with, that I'm led by. Not everyone relates to God this way, even in Christianity. Not everyone has this kind of an interaction with God or this kind of connection or whatever. And I don't think that I'm better than other people, but I think that my experiences and the intimacy that I share with this being demands responsibility and accountability from me and how I choose to participate. And so that has been a huge driver for the questions that I've had to ask. The reason that I put off, um, coming out publicly was because of the cost with people, but it was my relationship with God that has continued to stir in me to cause me to make the choices that I've made. So deconstruction came in because I started recognizing a lot of really awkward and pronounced and obvious and patterned biases specifically from Christians in my coming out process. And I'm like, where is this coming from? This is so inhuman. What are you talking about? (laughs) Like the conversation kept getting warped and 
distorted and I would say perverted and driven to very weird places. And I stopped being a human to a bunch of people who knew me, who cared about me, who mm -hmm. loved me, who respected me when I came out as a gay person. It was so weird. It was so mm -hmm. unnatural. And I was like, on a justice level, this is wrong. This yeah. is not how this should be going. This is not how Christians should be responding to someone like me in my position. This is unbelievable. And so in that process, I started holding a knife to some of the ideology that was coming out of these Christians in their rebuttals to me, the justifications for why I should be a second-class citizen in the family of God, why I should go back into that closet, why I should do everything I can to keep trying to change myself, even though for the last 20 plus years, nothing was working. Right. And even though in my intimacy with God and the deepest places of my experiences with this person, they were saying literally the opposite of everything these Christians were telling me. Right. Like there is all this contradiction. So my like need to do the deconstructive work came from that huge con like discrepancy. So when I say the word deconstruction, what I mean by that is holding into question things I didn't question before about our doctrine um, our creeds, our theology. Um, I, I can't say our faith because I don't know how many of the Christians walking around participating in this game. Um, I don't know how much of this is actually inspired by faith for a lot of them. I think a lot of it has to do with agreement, um, theological points, systematic theology has established a lot of really deeply held beliefs that I think are actually contradictory to the message of scripture, the narrative of scripture, the witness of scripture as an overarching theme. I think we've got a lot of weird, specific, systematic theology, doctrine, things that contradict what the Bible is actually communicating. And we are very biased and slanted in how we read this book. I did a lot of reading, a lot of interviewing, a lot of dialoguing with a lot of different people who do a deep work in this stuff mm -hmm. and the things that came to light were shocking it was a journey i don't want to freak anybody out <laughs> but deconstruction for me is hey this tenet of belief i've been told by the gatekeepers within the institutionalized church does not have authority over the voice of god in my life mm. does not get to tell me what i'm allowed to see or not see in the bible but that is how the church and church leaders treat these tenets of belief. And that's what's expected of all of the followers. That, that's how they're supposed to respond is you accept this. And the moment you challenge it, you're just not part of us anymore. That's how this works. I was just going to say, so deconstruction to you, I just want to make sure I've got this right in my head, is to look at all of the beliefs and all of the setup of Christianity and challenge it. And to say, I'll check with my guy. And if my guy tells me this is this is a truth, I'll believe it. But I'm not going to believe it because you said it. I'm not going to believe it because the Bible wrote it after like a thousand translations. I'm going to believe it because in my soul, I've got it from God. I feel it. Yes, I'd say that's a major part of it for sure. I think, yeah, essentially, if we boil it down, it's I'm taking responsibility yeah. for what I'm saying I believe. Good I'm no you. longer going to let a denomination or a certain leader or theologian yes. carry the weight of my theology. Because what I believe bears fruit in my environment and my relationships. Right. My pastor is not necessarily responsible for the things I've done in the name of my 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 religion. I'm responsible for those things. So right. why do I believe this? And I think a couple of litmus tests for me that I've learned from scripture in, this, in terms of the, the discernment process is less feeling. My feelings do matter and come into play at some point in this process, but I'm looking at two specific things when I start weighing out if something is from God, of God or not. Number one, my, I'm looking at 
does this produce human flourishing? If it does not produce flourishing for humankind, it's not from God. Jesus said that he came that we would have life and have it more abundantly, that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. If my ideology or like theology is producing harm in people's lives, destruction, Jesus helped us on a very basic level recognize what is this made out of? Is this coming from the spirit of God or from something else? How does it, how does it affect people's lives, right? So that's one litmus test that has nothing to do with how I feel and everything to do with the cause and effect dynamic of what I believe. The other aspect of discernment that Jesus gave us was you will know them by their fruit, right? A good tree produces good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. Good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. If saying that God's love is agape, it's unconditional. If <laughs> We're going to say that. If that's the word that's used to translate the New Testament word for love repeatedly is the, the Greek word agape, which means altruistic, unconditional love of God. And then we're going to put conditions on who gets to have it. That's a problem. And I don't think <laughs> that's really super educated or profound to recognize right. the obvious contradiction, right? So those are two specific things that are easy, like gates that if it cannot pass these two requirements, it does not get to come in. It is not of God. I don't care what you think and how long you've thought it and who all you can get to agree. That's irrelevant. If what you're saying you believe or God's telling you is producing harm in people's lives, is marginalizing them, is removing their voice, is ignoring their experience, is causing them to diminish as a human being, something is wrong with what you believe, not the victim of your theology. Amen. Right. So that's yeah. Boil it down. People love, love God, love yourself, love everybody else. Hello. The word is love. <laughs> Which goes right. along with abundance and flourishing of all. Right. Exactly. Like that's the result of love is that people actually grow and they expand yes. and they become more of who they already are. They don't yes. contort and change and like devolve. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and I've said this before, that those who don't get this yet and may never get this are so locked into the fear that you started with. I'm going to hell and, <laughs> and I'm going to go to hell. And, and if I agree with you, even just a little teeny bit, then I'm going to go to hell for that too. So there's all this fear of that place that may or may not exist really. <laughs> yeah. And Midge, let me say, yeah, you're right. Totally. I cannot believe for how many grown adults that is still a legitimate factor in their decision-making. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Right. It's unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like this. So here's the thing. When I first started encountering God, one of the first things that went that I didn't even notice until a certain conversation happened, my fear of hell disappeared pretty early on in my encounters with God. <laughs> I was not afraid. I wasn't like thinking about hell a ton. But one time at the early part of these experiences, my dad and I were having a chat. Mike, if at the end of your life, you find out you're not going to heaven, uh -huh. you're not going to hell, you just stop existing. Uh -huh would you still follow Jesus? And I was like, yes. And I'm looking, I'm like, this is kind of a weird question. He's like, why? If you know you're not going to get crowns or a mansion or whatever, mm -hmm. your life's just going to end. Why would you follow Jesus? And I looked at him like, okay, I don't know what you're doing, but let me just respond to this. And I said, and I never, I never consciously thought this before, but it just came up like out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right. And I said, I don't, I don't care about heaven. Like, I love Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. So if Jesus is in hell, then that's where I want to go. I don't care about where I'm going to end up. I want to be with this person. That's why I'm following them. I don't, I'm not trying to get something out of this. I'm in love with this person. 
and he didn't know what to say to that. So the conversation just kind of fizzled and ended, but I was kind of surprised at what came out of me, but I totally meant with my entire being what I said. And it's still true to this day. And that was like 15, 16 years ago. That changed my life, like not having to be afraid of that or answer to it anymore. And then as I started diving into doing the work behind where this idea of hell come from and what actually contributed to it and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I actually don't know that the, the version of hell that I was taught growing up is even, I'm sorry, I don't know if I should say no. I don't believe that that's even real anymore. I don't believe in the eternal conscious torment space that people are supposedly going to go to from this loving God. It actually ethically does not make it any doesn't sense. Jive. No. It doesn't jive. Doesn't click. Mm -hmm. If God is who we say they are, I sorry, I keep saying they. I know your audience might not be used to that, but I'm trying to deep. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I've got I've got trans people in my environment now, which I'm so yep. thankful for. And I'm trying to degender my language yep. specifically yep. when it comes to God, right? Yeah. So that's why I keep saying they I'm doing it on purpose. Um perfect. Anyway, thank you. Um, God being a loving, gracious, compassionate, all, all these beautiful, amazing, holy things about God, which are absolutely true. For this person to be this way and then send the majority of our species to a place of eternal torment <laughs> does not make sense. When you have the ethical question of would it have been better for us to have not been created than to have the majority of our species be tortured forever? Yeah. This is not good news. It doesn't <laughs> actually add up. It doesn't make any sense. But then if you actually look at the origins of where hell came from, like the, the basis for our idea of this thing we made up it's actually not found in the bible mm -hmm. uh it comes from other things that influenced and affected the way we interpreted the words of jesus and jesus is the one who says the word hell like 12 times in the new testament and then james says it like once the tongue right the power mm -hmm. of hell is the tongue and then we see hades and tartarus mentioned a couple of the times but jesus is the only one who uses this gehenna word Anyway, so like it's fast and the context that he says it in and where it came from and where it was. Act anyway, there's just like a lot of research that goes into that, that debunks this really stringent belief or expectation yes. of hell for people. So, but, but the theology aside, that can't be a motivator for us. Like we have not been given a spirit of fear, right? And when Jesus says, if you seek to save your own life, you're going to lose it. Following Jesus to avoid hell is literally trying to save your own skin. Uh -huh. He's telling us if that's the reason you're doing this, you've already lost. And that's terrifying for those of us who don't, who can't find any faith beyond that. Right. Yeah. But he's like, if you're willing to give up this fear, this struggle, this self-preservation thing, because you found the truth in me, you're, you're going to find your life. You're going to be liberated from that terror, from that life of trauma and avoidance, you know? And so that's a whole journey that we all should be going on. And the goal is not to prevent or avoid facing it. The goal is to allow God to win in that terror in our hearts, mm. to let go of trying to save ourselves. Anyway, that's sorry, that's a whole different conversation, but that was a big part of the deconstruction process was having to find the language for the things that I no longer feared or regarded that Christianity won't let go of. I'm like, you don't have sanction from scripture to hold on to this the way that you do and to weaponize it the way you have. It's actually not Christian to do that. It's not right. Right. Anyway, I can keep going, but yeah. <laughs> And it's okay. Go wherever you want to go. But I think that's so that's where the love comes in though, is to point out these things and to mm -hmm. show people a different way to consider yeah. things that they've been uh, taught bullied and by. bullied and yeah. had to swallow their whole lives. Yeah. And I think that's why the fear has remained is because nobody takes the time to really look at the context of the scriptures. Why was it written? Who was it written for? And because they only take out a couple of sections 
a couple of verses and they yeah. say, oh, okay, we're talking about this. So now with these two verses, that means all of y'all are going to hell. And it does <laughs> not mean that. <laughs> it just does not. Yeah. However, right. if you've never gone anywhere, yeah, I'm, I'm from Hickory, North Carolina. My grandfather was a minister. My uncle was a minister. Everybody was in the same denomination. Didn't know anything or any else other than that. The only time I realized that there was a difference in people <laughs> was I made the decision to go to Berkshire Christian College in Lenox, Massachusetts. Part of that, I said, was sort of like a legal way to run away from Hickory. But it also and I love snow. So New England was perfect for me. And I thought I needed to be a missionary. Why? So if I walk the dusty roads of Damascus, I might be saved and not go to hell. So anyway, that's what got me over there. But when I got to Massachusetts, the first thing, and this is so silly, but the first thing I recognized that was different besides the dialect was that in my hometown, if you went to church, all the men stood on the front porch smoking cigarettes as you go into the church service. And we don't drink alcohol in front of people. And we don't admit that we drink alcohol in front of people because that is a sin. In New England, no one was smoking out on the front steps of the church, but we had wine at communion. <laughs> <laughs> at some of the other, not my denomination, but at some of the others that I visited there and people had wine at, at dinner. And I was like, oh, and they're supposed to be Christian. Are you kidding me? So I got, I got to see in such a subtle way that we pick and choose in the right. South because we're, we grow tobacco. <laughs> we're going to smoke and produce the tobacco and use the tobacco that we produce because it's a moneymaker. You go to new England and you don't have that fever that you need to, you know, support tobacco. But anyway, so I, I started to realize then that, that there's a difference. Now yeah. I was still in the same denomination, so I didn't really get to emerge too far from what I believed. Mm -hmm. But since then, you know, with my time away from church and, you know, going in lots of different spirituality ways to try to figure out the spirit that was calling to me, I never could avoid God bringing me back. I kept going away and then it, God would bring me back. And I believe that it was, it was my journey to find out how to make God, not the abomination God, mm. you know, how is it that I'm still the same person? I was gay. I am gay. I will always be gay. So why was I created that way? If God is condemning me as an abomination to him and it's take, I'm 63 years old and I've told people, I really need to get it together because <laughs> there's less on the other side of that number <laughs> unless I'm Moses. So anyway, um, you know, I think that we all strive to be exactly what God wants us to be, but we don't understand. For, and uh, that's why I love your perspective. We don't understand that God doesn't expect us to all be the person that leads everybody. God just expects us to be authentic. Yeah. And to show up in that authenticity and to love, be authentic, be you and love. That's it. And whatever we do from that, you know, my whole thing about the gay with God memoir, this, this podcast, it's all about, this was my authentic path. I just never had my voice ready to say it all because of the fear and because of my own inner homophobia and shame that was instilled in me from all of the Bible thumping people that took the verses and just read them and said, oh, well, so-and-so said that means that. So now I'm going to tell you this means that. Mm. And it's not true. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yes. 
Agreed. Okay. You and I, two people together (laughs) (laughs) on Zoom. That's all we need. Preach it, man. I love it. Yes. I probably would have been a preacher back in the day. (laughs) But I'm glad that I wasn't because I would have preached the same crap that was fed to me. And so I couldn't have done that until I was ready to step into my authenticity. You can't do what you're doing until you were ready to release the fear and step into the authenticity. Totally, for sure. And it is it is mind numbing and a little bit annoying that people still stay so stuck in those places. But I know that I was, yeah. you know, you know that you were and, we, you know, patience is hard to have with people when we're moving and we're ready and we're trying to save people from themselves. It's hard, but God will do that. God will still be pleased in the end. Yeah. God will still be pleased. So what has been the hardest part for you? I mean, now that. And for me, that word, when you were saying that, you know, you were grieving and, and crying, I mean, you definitely were in a place of surrendering. It's like everything finally just fell away and you had to get back to that raw, naked part of you yeah. of saying it's all stripped down now. I mean, I, there's nothing left, you know, and and to surrender that to God and say, OK, I finally get it. And now I'm just going to keep grieving until I just wash all that old stuff away. The part that you said earlier about you know, people saying that you're listening to the demons and all that, that, you know, that, that kind of backlash, I know in one way, it kind of bolsters you probably in a way to get that and to be able to know that you can handle it because you got God, you know, right beside you and, and around you. But what has been the hardest part? Has it been watching family or friends walk away? Has it, what has been the hardest part of stepping yeah. into your authenticity? Yeah. So in this process, the hardest part, hands down at this point of the journey has been having to discover who was not affirming of me mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. my queerness mm-hmm. without telling me mm. I had to figure that out based on what they were and weren't saying. Oh. Um, and unfortunately those, the people who were doing that were mostly like close friends of mine before I came out, they were close and most of them were influential and had, you know, they were well-respected and, which I think brought a ton of privilege to them and maybe a little bit of arrogance after a while because it just went unchallenged. The idea that I would suggest that they were unsafe was unacceptable to them. It was a repeated theme I started noticing with these kinds of people in my life. Um, They were so offended that I didn't want to talk to them about this, that I didn't feel safe with them, that I needed space. They could not handle that because the suggestion, the inference was that they're not safe. I don't trust them. And they, I owed them trust. I owed them vulnerability. I owed them an explanation. And I, once I started like getting to figure out what was going on and how gross this was, it was really painful, but also necessary to recognize what it was and stop enabling those dynamics. Cause I was the one repeatedly paying for it. I was the one who was constantly naked and on trial and being critiqued and analyzed and pulled apart and challenged and rebuttaled all the while also the most vulnerable in the conversation Mm -hmm. so cruel and unkind and they didn't see any of that i don't think any of them were trying to be vicious or cruel but they were just they were blind to the actual dynamics going on and not caring for me they were caring about their own ego and their own reputation how they were being perceived Mm -hmm. uh anyway so that was the most painful i still haven't recovered from that like i relate like most of the people i'm describing right now i'm not talking to them right now Mm -hmm. Uh, and they have stopped reaching out like they because they don't know what else to do. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what to do with it either. So I'm leaving it alone. I'm giving myself permission to be a person. And if slash when I feel ready to have that conversation, if I ever want to address it, if I ever want to bring them back into my life, I don't know. 
if I do, then I get to bring it up, but I had to give myself permission to not ever need to have them in my life again. And it wasn't out of like spite. It was out of survival. It was out of a need to care for me in the midst of this process, having to learn and recognize and find the language for it and then have the boundaries in place to take care of myself. And that has been the most painful part of this. Oh, wow. mm. It was like close friends of mine who Aww. aren't friends anymore. <laughs> so, so I'm like, I don't know how much of a friend they actually were to begin with because mm-hmm. they still want straight Mike. And I'm like, do you, you don't realize that that guy doesn't exist. He never did. I was lying to you, which is mm-hmm. what I'm so upset about and trying to clean up. And you refuse to let that guy go. And you will not accept this new person. I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. You want me in the closet. Yeah. I'm not doing it. Good for right? you. That's a deal breaker. So that was like the most painful by far. Well, that is, that is. And, and not only the fact that, that <laughs> they'll be with you, you know, in your inauthenticity, <laughs> but they don't want the real you. Right. Yeah. So yeah. sad. It is very sad. So and what so, do you yeah. go ahead? No, finish that thought. I just, I'm so sad for all the Christians who have no idea what I just described. They don't see it. They don't realize yes. like how much of it they're not even aware of and are actually practicing regularly in their relationships. I'm like, this is so sad. Mm-hmm. And then you have to find something else to fill that with. So <laughs> what, <laughs> so how do you refuel when it's all emptied and all those people that were so close are gone? Where do you refuel? Yeah. So I have, so I don't want to paint a picture that everyone I cared about or cared about me left. I've got a lot of people in my life who, who do care about me or mm-hmm. who come into my life because of this process. Whatever. Uh-huh. Um, so my, the way that I take care of myself in this process, which has become a necessity, I used to be um, in, like, I notoriously was not good at caring for myself in the processes that I used to be part of. Um, now I go on walks often. I got rollerblades a few weeks ago. So now I'll rollerblade. I need to get in the sun and move my body and cruise around. I do that regularly. I'll do that later today. <laughs> um, I do some writing to help kind of process and like work through and, you know, just like revisit certain parts of my past that I used to be so like homophobic about. And now I'm like, as a redemptive, like looking back at times in my life that were actually beautiful and sacred and holy before God. And I looked on them with shame and like embarrassment and disgust. And I'm like, Oh, I got to repent for that. For like those versions of me that I like was practicing the homophobia on that I was being taught. Like I started cleaning that stuff up. Therapy has been helpful. Um, A big one for me has been getting vulnerable and honest with the people who are important in my life, the people I care about and making sure that I've removed the question in our relationship of how important they are to me, mm-hmm. um, of demonstrating the love languages that translate, right? So quality time, words of affirmation, physical touch, like these kinds of things. Like uh, I've like done some disrupting there, like breaking up some patterns that were normal in our relationship so that I can make sure that I feel connected and honest and like present in our, these important relationships. I find that if that isn't, if I don't do that, or if there's like a conflict between me and someone who's important to me, I actually don't do well. And then if I hear some, if I get hate on social media or whatever, Mm -hmm. when I'm not doing well in my personal life, that stuff hits me in such a way. If I'm good in my personal life, that stuff is like, is whatever to me. Right. Um, Yeah. And then like, obviously there's, uh, my the intimacy I have with God and the way that my prayer life looks now is the thing that definitely helps you know keep me grounded and aware of things that are like practicing gratitude in my life and continuing to like just be mindful of who God is and where they are. Um, 
I have a few different, like I have a book club and I have a deconstruction group that I run and we do things in that space talking about this process. And that's been super helpful. I mean, sorry, Mitch, I can keep going. I have all these different things that I've been <laughs> doing and they've mostly been like byproducts of necessity for me. Like I just needed to like cultivate. So I have friends over and we'll have like a meal or we'll play card games or watch a movie or something, right? Just like these things were just like here or there before. And now they're like intentional. I'm like, I go out of my way to make sure these things are happening mm-hmm. because I have to take care of this this person, or I can't handle this thing. I know. know. I know. And this Uh, thing for you who aren't watching and only listening is his phone and social media, just because you're right. I mean, the, and I I think that's that little piece of inner homophobia that, that can be reignited. I don't know yet if we ever get rid of that inner homophobia, but when we surround ourselves with truth and love and, and all of these refueling activities that you talked about, it does help us keep it in perspective because yeah. it can, um, you know, with new le- legislation, with people getting their rights taken away in Florida and all the other places, it, it reignites that, oh, God, what if I'm wrong? You know, that that can uh-huh. come back very quickly in the early in the early sure. beginnings of finding mm. your authenticity when you're still on shaky ground, yeah. because it does take a lot of hard work to, as you say, deconstruct and remember what's real, what is real, you know, God's love for us is real, us loving each other is real, but all the other things that we were taught is real between birth and five is when we cement that inside our souls. It's a very, very tender, impressionable time in our life. And that's where we get it. And then from there, if we keep continue to build on that thing that we learned when we were little and you got it at four, I mean, you had the fear in you at four and it, it stayed <laughs> through your yeah. entire early years of living. And that takes a long time to, to not refuel that part of that. Yeah. So I'm so proud of the journey that you've been on. And I'm just so excited for you because that, that truth that you have now by being able to connect to, to what you experienced and to name it and share it and stay with the claiming part of it. That's good. That's mm, really thank good. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Impressive, I might say. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's definitely taking some work. It took some. Oh, sure. Deep, yeah. You know, just deep digging and like mm-hmm. repenting, confessing. Then, yeah. Just like so much pain that came through that. I think yes. most of us avoid it because it's so intense and painful, but I walked through that in a few different ways. And I'm so thankful because now I get to enjoy you know, a more lighthearted, stable, settled, confident engagement in this space. I don't Mm -hmm. feel insecure often in this space. Um, But I think that's a huge part of that's the result of like the digging and the Mm -hmm. pain and the the scary vulnerability and the honesty, the, oh God, what is this? Where did this come from? What am I really after here? And, you know, the authenticity piece, you nailed it. I'm like, I 100% agree. I think the thing that God is asking for it from any of us is authenticity. And then from there, we get to touch things like love and Mm. truth and mercy and forgiveness. Like you can't do any of that. You can't touch any of it. You can't broker any of that in your life. Mm -hmm. If you're lying, Mm -hmm. especially yourself, if you're Mm -hmm. inauthentic, like none of that stuff gets to be substantive. You're just regurgitating and practicing. You're just like performing as opposed to living, you know, totally. Yeah, it's a facade and we all wear it at one point or not. We have the facade of Christianity. We know what it looks like. We know how it sounds. We know how preachers preach. We know how preachers pray. And we all, they call it the, 
uh, somebody told me this the other day that when, when people are sometimes reading or doing something in church, they put on the Bible speak and that it all sounds the same, you know, <laughs> the inflection yeah. in your words and it all yeah. has to sound, it wow. sounds holy, but you know, that's, that's where the everything, you know, there are no mistakes in church because it doesn't matter how you sound. It doesn't matter if you mess up the words, it doesn't matter because God does not expect perfection. God is perfect. Not me. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm just a piece of that, you know? And so there's no way for me to be perfect here. Maybe later, but <laughs> when I'm somewhere else, wherever I might be. <laughs> hey, listen, I want to, I want to take a moment and like poke at that for a second. Okay. Poke away. So in my deconstruction process, which by the way, was not just a messy reaction. I started seeking out like vetted deconstruction voices who have done mm -hmm. a lot of great work. Um, so people like Brian McLaren and Richard Rohr and Rob I Bell, Richard Rohr. people who have been like, yeah, a lot of these guys have been like disgraced or blacklisted from mainline yes. evangelicalism, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm like, hey, that's good company because like evangelicalism at this point, I'm like, there's so much stuff going on there that I cannot in good conscience participate in. But anyway, in that space, um, I've actually stopped valuing perfection the way that I used to. I actually don't think it's biblical the way we treat it perfection as a standard or like a goal is actually very Greek and Western in its thinking and, and expectation. The Jewish Bible, <laughs> like, so like the old Testament and then the Jewish people who were engaging with Jesus in the gospels. And then Paul coming from a Jewish tradition, obviously being learned in Greek, like perfection was not a priority or a goal in a lot of the values that were communicated within scripture um, what was actually valued and pursued and protected and upheld was life, like story happening, organic unfolding, if you will. Perfection is a sterile, changeless freeze frame. Like you, any kind of change or progress from a state of perfection is only going to be like degrading, right? It's only going to go negative because mm. perfection is already arrived. So to hold that as like some kind of a value in even the way we perceive our lives and existence is setting all of us up for failure because that's actually not what God is after. Perfection should not be, a, I mean, my opinion, perfection should not be a standard that we are comparing ourselves to. It was never the goal. You're not here to be perfect. You're here to live. You're here to be alive and to happen for a story to be told. And it's not about right or wrong, good or bad. Did you hit it or not? It's about, did you allow? truth and love to move through your being, your story, your experiences, or did you choose to bypass life for whatever you esteemed was better, which is where perfection, that priority tends to take us, right? I'm going to avoid, that's what caused me to deny my sexuality and being honest for so long. Mm -hmm. I was being held to a standard of perfection, not a standard of living, right? Not a standard of authenticity. Those are different. Like there's actually a contradiction there. And so I'm like, I have had to work to get rid of that expectation of perfection as a goal as that's something as if that's something that we're being asked to attain we're not so when we see boards versus like be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect mm -hmm. we can turn that into oh i have to be flawless whatever i get right. where that's coming from that's right. not what's being talked about the perfection that's being spoken of there is loving your your enemies like caring for people who are trying to destroy yes. you right and so perfection there is not a state 
a, a changeless state that you're trying to achieve. Perfection there is the beauty and the holiness of the living God, what they are like and the love that comes from them. Be like them in that way. That's right. perfect. Not, not changeless, benevolent, gracious, compassionate, right? And so our Western understanding of the word perfect, I think, is actually very uh, harmful sounds intense, but like, it is harmful. It, it is harmful. But yeah. Yes. Because it's unattainable yeah. on that standard of what we believe it to mean. But what you were getting back to is the love, the perfection is loving unconditionally. And that is different. And I'm yeah. glad that you, I'm glad that you poked at that. Good for you. Thanks. For you. I would say perfection is misleading. I'm not trying to say perfect is bad. I'm saying it's actually irrelevant. It's taking right. us to a direction or a goal or priority that God is not after in our lives. Yes. Yes. Thank goodness. Yeah, right? yeah. And it's, and, and Everybody like take a, a breath. <laughs> and it's not a cop out to throw perfection away. It's not like, oh, we can't do it. Therefore, we're going to stop reaching for it. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. It's you are beautiful. You are alive. You're a child of God. We're not mad at our, mad at our toddler for not saying the sentence exactly the right way, for not walking perfectly across the living room. We're not mad at them for that because we're not expecting them to do it perfectly. What's the perfect way to walk across the room? There are lots of ways to do it because the standard <laughs> is not perfection. It's not some template that's being held against people. It's who are you? I want to see it. As long as it's your walk, I want to see it right? Yeah. As long as it's your voice, your sentiment, your expression, I want to hear it. It doesn't need to come out a certain way. I just want it to be yours. Yeah, you. Yes. Yes. All yeah. of that. All yeah. of that. <laughs> well, guys, yeah. if, if you have not seen Mike anywhere, I'd, I'd be surprised. <laughs> I don't because Mike's got it all going on. He's got a lot of stuff going on and he's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I take that as a compliment. Thank you. I would too. If I were, <laughs> it really is impressive how you come in. Like, I love your TikToks just in general. I just love them. And you do, you do so well, you do so well. And, and you say exactly what needs to be said and you do it in a way that's a, a way that's approachable and oh, fun. And I, I do. And I don't, I don't say that just to say it. I, I really mean it. And so I want everybody to find you. So tell people where they can find you and get Great. a piece of you. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So listen, she, Midge is right. I have done everything I can to be as available and accessible right. as I can be. Yes. So <laughs> a really, a really great place to find me is either on Instagram or TikTok. And my handle is going to be at Mike Mayashiro. So my name, first and last name, um, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, that's where you're going to find me. Um, and with that handle, you can find me on YouTube. My channel is Mike Space Mayashiro. Um, I'm, and my podcast is called Confessions of a Reformer. My name is obviously associated with that. And then my website is mikemayashiro.com. So it gets pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. But there's and those different places, you'll find different kinds of content. But yeah, I've definitely like put concerted effort to try and get content out to people to just kind of help provide a narrative and an expression and a voice to push against things that are gross and to represent things that I'm like, I should have heard this a long time ago. Where was yes. this when I needed it? Yes. Let me put it out there kind of thing, right? So, yes, yeah. perfect, but not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. Anyway, 
I really want to thank you, Mike. I, I'm so happy that you came and you're welcome back anytime. Uh, oh, yes. I, I, I often do have people come back because we want to go deeper in certain things. So, yeah, we'll stay in touch and, and yeah. we can go deeper on some Let's topics that you had to fly by because you are you are the voice that we have waited for. You're a voice that is approachable and you're a voice that makes sense. Mm. And I want people to experience you on different levels for sure. And I want them to be within your realm and hear the authenticity that you were born to have and that you're now coming into. And I'm so happy for you. So Thank very, you so very much. happy. Wow. I feel very I feel very edified is the biblical term. Oh, well. Thank you. And Midge, I want to say thank you for doing this. I love someone at your age with your journey and the choices you got to make to be where you are here and what you're doing. I respect that, the humility, the passion, the service. Like, what a gift. Thank you for doing this. I'm honored to have been here. This is so cool. Well, thank you. I got the chills. Thanks so much. (laughs) I appreciate that. So guys, and I honor you. I honor and thank you for listeners for coming back each week, supporting, sharing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see more information and links to connect with Mike, I will have those on the show page. Go to gaywithgod at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. And if you are questioning whether or not you can be gay and be in relationship with God, if you are authentically on the LGBTQIA um, spectrum, I guess we can call it for lack of a better word at this point until we come up with another one. <laughs> God has always been within you. Even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Stay tuned to hear how you can join the gay with God community and check out our Facebook group, gay with God. Um, I'm starting the, well, I've already started the monthly faith journey zoom group for us to get together and talk about things that are relevant to us and to get a little bit of support and help. And if you need a little coaching support to get through your coming out faith journey story, you can also go to the show page and empoweredmidge.podbean.com scroll all the way down to the bottom and see how you can connect with me. And one final thing, just for fun, the wild goose festival if you've never been, you need to you need to look on Facebook or you can look anywhere and just, you know, Wild Goose Festival and it'll pop up July 14th through the 17th. We will be live again with the Gay With God podcast at the Wild Goose Festival. I have a great guest in store for you there, and I can't wait to share uh, her story with you. And I want you to be able to enjoy all the things about the festival. So just, you know, Google it, see what comes up. There are thought leaders, spiritual people. Um I've, I went the first time last year and just sitting at my tent space, I saw a Buddhist monk coming and throwing blessings to both sides of the aisle. And after that, I saw a rainbow tutu on a guy with high heels walking right behind him. And it was like that, that just made my whole day. That just is like the entire embracing of all, all places and all people and all faiths and all beliefs. And we all come together to listen and to hear and to edify. And it's, it's a beautiful place. Now, I don't know how it's going to be in July this year. I went in September last year and I was cool. I'm not a hot weather girl, but I'm going to give it a shot (laughs) and I'll bring you the live taping later. So y'all take care. I love you. Thanks for coming back. See you next week. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community.
We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.